Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Sometimes as I'm singing uh, with a group like tonight, congregation, I just think, Lord, this never gets old. It's, because you never get old. It, it's, uh, uh, you know, he, it, it just never gets old. <laughs> so, um, uh, let me pray uh, again <laughs> so we can head into this. Father, thank you that we have an infinite number of reasons to praise you. And towering above all the other reasons we have to praise you is that you redeemed us for your glory. You sent your son to purchase us with his blood so that we would know while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid us thence depart. It's unshakable, it's unchanging, it's eternal, and we thank you that it's all because of your kindness and your sovereign goodness that we're even here tonight in this place, lifting up our hearts and our voices to thank you. Father, we do pray that you would, you would renew us by your spirit, even as we continue to worship you in your word and do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's a, uh, where did Joseph go? Wherever he went, uh, just wanted to thank him for, uh, what a good friend he has been to me for so many years. Um, I've known Joseph for I don't know how long, uh, but he has been a huge encouragement and example and uh, counselor, and uh, just I'm so grateful for his friendship. Um, is he here? <laughs> oh, he's still back there? Okay. Um, I typically, when we are working out the plans for a Worship God conference, I usually try to have messages, these main messages, be expository because I think as musicians, what we need most to hear from the Word of God is expository messages. I believe that's true really for any Christian, that we need to hear the Word of God taught to us the way God gave it to us. That's what expository preaching is. It's not adding to God's Word. It's not messing with it. It's, it's, it's preaching it as God has given it to us. Um, unfortunately, I did not assign myself that, uh, I did not give myself that assignment. So this is not an expository uh, message, but it is dealing with one of the healthy tensions. So we will open our Bibles at various times, but there's not one particular text that I'm going from. Uh, one of the healthy tensions that has intrigued me the most over the years has, that, has been that tension between planning and spontaneity. 
between structure and improvisation. I grew up studying classical piano, received a degree in piano performance from Temple University. But since the time I was six, I was making up melodies on the piano. At 12 years old, I started composing songs and pursuing playing by ear. So as a musician, I appreciate both the value of long, earnest, diligent practice and preparation so that you might play a difficult piece and also the joy and thrill and excitement of making up music on the spot. Both are, are very appealing to me. So as I was considering this healthy tension of planning and spontaneity, I thought it might be helpful to use music to introduce how God wants planning and spontaneity to work together. And so to do that, we're going to look at the differences and similarities between classical music and jazz music. So this is not your typical message already. <laughs> we'll begin with classical music. Classical music, for most people, among other things, represents something that is planned, something that has structure, something in which you know what's coming. So I'm going to play an example of some classical music so you know what I'm talking about. This is the, from the 100 Best Short Classics, Chopin's Prelude in A Major, and it goes like this. Recognize that? Now, that was not spontaneous. That's the music that's written right there. And I just played what's written right there. They're what Frederick Chopin actually wrote, I believe, in the 18th century, I think. Uh, classical music has form. It has structure. It has shape. And when you download say, a recording of the prelude in A major or Chopin's Etudes or Beethoven Concerti, you know in large degree what the music's going to sound like because the notes have been written down and you just, you just play them. Now, jazz, on the other hand, is more of an unfettered, free, kind of more adventurous, in-the-moment kind of music. It's, it's generally more spontaneous, although I have books of jazz music as well. But Generally, jazz music is thought of as, as something you make up on the spot. So if I was going to play this as a jazz piece, it might be more like this. And this is like really spontaneous. <laughs> I 
kind of what it would sound like. Uh, now, of course, classical music and jazz are both appear, they both appear in a variety of forms, styles and genre. It's not like jazz is one way, classical is one way. We're talking broad genre. But the point I want to make is that the differences between classical and jazz music are not as great as we might think. While classical notes are predetermined, tempo, dynamics, rubato, tone, pedaling, and more aren't. So we'll have our favorite recordings of a certain classical piece. And if we were, if I was to play this, the exact same notes a little differently, it might sound like this. Same notes. So I can do a lot of things with it. I'm, I'm taking some liberties. But I can't change it too much or it becomes a different You see, it, it, it's, it's just adding a little spontaneity to the classical music. Now, the reality is there has actually been a significant amount of improvisation involved in classical music throughout history. The Baroque period of music from about 1600 to 1750 utilized something called figured bass, where all you had was the bass note and some numbers, and you had to figure out the chords on top of it. A number of you know what I'm talking about. It was improvisation. It didn't tell you what notes. It was kind of like a chord chart, Sim, kind of. <laughs> Except there were notes. There were real notes. But you, know, you have a 6-5, you, you have a 6, you have a, uh, f uh, other things. And it would tell you, you would know from that, you'd have to figure out from that what notes you were going to play. And Baroque and classical composers, as well as others, often use something called a cadenza, which was sometimes written, but often improvised in the middle of a piece, often near the last chord of a piece. And the artist, the soloist, would just kind of go off. I remember for my, uh, one of my juries in school, I had to do a cadenza in the middle of a piece. You, you do your piece, and then it's your turn. You get to make up the music. And of course, I had like, worked out a little bit of what I was going to do, but I just thought, this is so great. Classical music, a little improv in the middle. This is so great. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, was as well known for being an improviser as he was a composer. Mozart, the same thing. In fact, someone who, one biographer who went to see Mozart perform uh, said this after he improvised for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, he said, our feelings were transformed into pure enchantment. So that's classical music. And jazz, while it's often characterized as improvisation, except for avant-garde forms of jazz or free forms of jazz, that improv improvisation takes place over an identifiable harmonic structure and has planned boundaries even within its freedom. So it may sound to us sometimes like, what in the world are they doing? But they all end up in the same place. And it's amazing because there's a structure to it. There's a, there are boundaries to it. So it's those distinctives and similarities that'll help us better understand the relationship between planning and spontaneity. 
Because both are valuable in leading meetings that glorify God and build up his church. Now, we're going to restrict our discussion of planning and spontaneity to our Sunday gatherings, especially as it relates to those who plan and lead those meetings, whether musically or pastorally. And if I was going to sum up this message, I'd say this, those who are prepared to be spontaneous will have more opportunities to glorify God. Those who are prepared to be spontaneous will have more opportunities to glorify God. Planning can actually prepare us for spontaneity. Spontaneity rarely happens in a vacuum. It is drawing from a well that we've already poured into. So knowing, if someone knows a lot of scripture, a lot of God's word, that will come out in their conversation, in their spontaneous remarks. Someone who knows a lot of chords and a lot of songs will be better prepared to know what song fits the occasion. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said in Tony Sargent's book, The Sacred Anointing, when he's speaking about preaching, I think it applies to music as well. The spirit generally uses a man's best preparation. It is not the spirit or preparation, and the spirit here would be referring to spontaneity. It is preparation plus the unction and the anointing and that which the Holy Spirit can alone supply. So it's both. We plan and prepare so that we might be spontaneous without fear. That's what I want to persuade you of tonight. So first we're going to look at planning. God commends planning. I hope, I hope you realize that. If not, here are a few scriptures that will help you. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So God commends diligent planning. Here's another one, Psalm 24. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. So it's a blessing when God fulfills our plans. Isaiah 32, verse 8, I love this. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. If we're to walk nobly, we will plan noble things. Things. There are a lot of benefits to planning. As so I was thinking about this, I realized, wow, there are really a lot of benefits to planning. I've never taken the time until I prepared this message to really consider how many benefits there were, which probably says something about my leanings. Uh, here's, here's one. Planning makes us more aware of our need for God before the meeting. As we begin thinking about what we need to do for a meeting, it, it, it often comes to us how little we know, how little prepared we are, or what a significant task we face. Just as we start thinking about it, what we need to accomplish a certain task. Planning can help us serve people with undistracting excellence. And when I say planning, you can, you can put in practice, preparation. To plan or practice in advance enables us to put technical matters, purely technical issues in the background so we can focus on what's really important, engaging with God, serving the congregation. When we spoke earlier uh, today about instrumentalist singing, well, that's really hard to do if you're having to spend all your attention on focusing on your instrument. So planning, preparation, practice 
helps us do that, helps us serve with undistracting excellence. Planning can help us be more intentional about our theological diet, musically and in preaching. So as we look over the songs we're singing, as we look over what we're going to sing even this Sunday, planning helps us realize, ah, oh, we, we need this kind of song here. We need, uh, this will balance out this kind of song. This, these songs together form a more balanced diet to give to the congregation. Planning can clarify our goals and how to meet them. So we want our church to be more moved by the truths we proclaim than the music we play or the melodies we sing. Planning can help us introduce songs wisely and patiently rather than abruptly. Just thinking about, okay, how is this, how is this going to be done? What are the effects of this going to be? That's what planning can help us do. Planning can prepare those who serve for their contributions. So if we all come together as musicians and just start playing, it's hard to know exactly what we should do. Planning helps us determine that in advance. So we can say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you not play there? Why don't you try this right there? That's, that's the, one of the benefits of planning. Planning makes us less likely to lead by emotion or experience. Some individuals as well as movements are characterized by this eager pursuit of engaging with God, which is commendable. But because of a lack of planning and study, experience and feelings become more important than faithfulness and orthodoxy. They just, they just rise to the top. The question asked is not, was this biblical, but did we feel God? question asked is not, did we gain a clearer picture of who God is for us in Christ, but were we passionate enough? And slowly but surely, there's this eroding of the governing authority of God's word, and emotions and experiences rise to the top. Planning can help keep that in check. Planning can help us engage more meaningfully in public. So if we know in advance what we're going to say, if we pray over the lyrics that we're going to be singing in advance, it makes us more sensitive to what we'll be doing as we lead. If the first time we, we think about the lyrics or the Sunday morning we sing them, we're going to be less prepared. We're just depending totally on the moment. If we've chewed on, if we've meditated on, if we've ruminated on the lyrics we're singing, there's a well to draw from. It prepares us for spontaneity. Number eight, planning can enable large groups to maximize their time. So the bigger the group is, the more planning is advantageous. The larger the crowd, the more important it is to make sure our time together is fruitful. You would not have been blessed in this conference if, if Joseph and I and Devin helped as well in the planning, uh, if we just showed up here Thursday morning and said, hey, what do you guys want to do? I, I can guarantee you this would not be the conference it's been. We had to plan. That planning began months ago. So we're benefiting from the planning that was put in because this is a large group. Well, every Sunday morning as our church gathers, we want to serve them well. The larger your church is, the more important that planning becomes. Planning can help us give more effective and timely spoken contributions. 
whether that's in the middle of the song or, or between songs. Sincerity doesn't always equal effectiveness. We, we wish it did. I've, I've known guys who lead and uh, they're just so passionate. They are just so passionate. And they just love Jesus so much. They want you to love him too. But they never tell you anything that tells you why you should love him. They just are very passionate. And that's in some ways helpful, but not ultimately. Uh, because they're just gushing. They're gushing. It's like if I was to say to you, oh, my wife, I love her so much. Oh, I wish I was with her right now. She's so amazing. Oh, man, she's just, I'd rather be with her than anybody else in the world. She's just incredible. She's awesome. She's unbelievable. I just can't even describe to you how great she is. How much do you know about my wife? Zero, except that I really love her, which I really do. Uh, but that's not helping you understand why I love her. Planning can help our contributions make sense. They, they can, we, can, we can put content in them that then encourages the people we're speaking to. So those are, those are just a few of the benefits to planning. Now, let's talk about some of the limitations to planning. Planning can't replace dependence on the spirit before or during the meeting. C.J. Mahaney, my dear friend, been a uh, senior, I've worked with him for 20 years, I've known him for 40, has said to me numerous times as we led in conferences or uh, on a Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit helps us plan, but our plans are not the Holy Spirit. If you've been to Worship God conferences, I'm sure you've heard me say that. The Holy Spirit helps us plan, but our plans are not the Holy Spirit. So, so once we plan, we come to the meeting and we think, okay, Spirit, do you have anything else to say? Because those plans are not the same as you. We believe he gave them to us, but that might not be all he wants to say. Planning can ensure that everything will go right. Last night, as we got here, Devin mentioned it earlier, Patrick's guitar pedal board was malfunctioning. So just, he was plugging in wires, which makes me grateful I'm a piano player, but he was plugging in wires and just, you know, at home, people call in sick. I mean, I remember one time, uh, one Sunday morning, I was asking for, I was just calling out for a drummer. We had no drummer. I said, hey, is anybody play drums? And, you know, fortunately we found someone. Um, you can plan all you want, but it doesn't ensure that things are, are going to go the way you plan them. We, planning doesn't ensure that we've made the right plans. How many times have, have I prepared an introduction to, to a song that I thought was just fantastic? And then when I actually do it, I find out it's not fantastic. It's really long and repetitive. That, that's what it, or confusing. Uh, or an arrangement. You know, we, we come up with this arrangement. We work really hard on it. We plan this arrangement out. And then when we actually get to the meeting, it's like, it's not working. So planning doesn't ensure that you've done the right plans. Last night, we had uh, practice and rehearsal uh, in Christ alone. That was our plan. We weren't sure exactly what HB was going to sing, but... Um, as the message, uh, <laughs> as we got into the message, it became clear that was not the song we should sing. 
So uh, we planned it, but it wasn't the right song. Same thing this morning. We had planned another song for the end of the meeting. So we're not really doing well on this. I hope the meeting, songs after this message go okay. Um, we didn't plan that many, so that was helpful. Um, so same thing this morning. Uh, we were going to do Oh Great God, and uh, we sang All Must Be Well just because it was a better song. So just because you plan doesn't mean that you've made the right plans. Now, before we move on to spontaneity, just a few words about God's perspective on our planning. It's good to remember that only the Lord's plans are infallible and endure. And so some of you who up to this point are, are just like tracking. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so-and-so hears this. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, play, I'm gonna make sure so-and-so gets this message. And you know, that's what you've been thinking this whole time. Uh, only the Lord's plans are infallible and endure. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. There's another thing about God's perspective on our planning. Sometimes it's the Lord's plan to overrule our plans. Proverbs 16, verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So it may be God's plan to mess up our plans. And isn't that frustrating? But don't we want the Lord's plans better than our plans? I can assure you we do. And then finally, the gospel assures us that God plans to use the worst of our plans for, his greatest, for our greatest good and his greatest glory. We read in Acts 2, 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God took our worst plans and they became his best plans. So never... Be discouraged that your plans aren't going the way you wish they would. Because we can be certain God has a better plan that he's working out. So let's move on to spontaneity. God commends spontaneity. When speaking of spontaneity, we're referring especially to the work of the Holy Spirit as he makes God's presence known to us. So from passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we see that God gives the church spontaneous spiritual gifts that are the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 33, because this gives us, gives us a picture of at least what was happening in the Corinthian church, which is not the model church by any means, but Paul does not discourage the spontaneous element of what they're doing other than to bring order to it. So verse 26, Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Five times he says that in 1 Corinthians 14. talks about building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. He's bringing some restrictions. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, 
and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, that's spontaneous. Let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So we just get the sense that when the Corinthians were gathering, there was, there was a lot of spontaneous stuff going, going on, and Paul wanted to bring direction and order to it. The early church prayed for God to do unexpected things as they shared the gospel, spontaneous things, in Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I'm pretty sure that was unplanned. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So as they're going out to preach the gospel, they're saying, Lord, heal people, do miracles, do things that we can't do. They're asking God to do spontaneous things as they are faithful to go out and proclaim the word. So the picture of the church in Acts is one of a spontaneous, exuberant life together, empowered by the Spirit of God that proclaimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to the glory of the Father. I mean, we read about meetings going past midnight you know, to the early morning, thousands getting saved, miracles taking place. And while we may not experience everything they did due to our place in redemptive history, we can't deny God's intention to interact meaningfully and powerful with, powerfully with his people in spontaneous ways. So, now, the benefits of spontaneity should be obvious, but I'm going to go over a few. Spontaneity cultivates a dependency on God, not only before the meeting, but during the meeting. An awareness that God might want to do something spontaneously reminds us that our confidence isn't rooted in how much we've prepared and practiced and rehearsed, but in the fact that God has promised to be with us and that his word does not return to him void and that he loves and cares for his people. That's where our confidence is. And if our confidence isn't there, God will expose that because he wants our faith to be in him, not our plans and preparation. Spontaneity gives us the freedom to respond to present needs and promptings. That, we've seen some of that here already. That could include an unplanned comment, an unplanned prayer, a scripture reading, a prophetic word. Now, smaller churches may be able to do this more frequently, but even in a large church, we can make room for unplanned moments. And whether your church is big or small, every spontaneous verbal contribution should be under the oversight of a pastor. And I'll talk more about that uh, in, 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 later on. But valuing spontaneity doesn't negate the need for godly leadership. Another benefit of spontaneity is it can make us more aware of God's personal, timely care. I've seen that over and over. It's the difference between knowing that the president of the United States has taken an oath to take care and protect the people of this country and receiving a handwritten note from the president saying that he'll do that for you. 
That's the difference. Both are true. But when God does something spontaneously and that's specific, you become much more aware of that greater, more enduring truth. And that's to be the effect of spontaneity. Another benefit, spontaneity can lead us to seeing God do powerful works in our midst. That's what we read in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That came as people were prophesying in the meeting. That's what, that, that's what he's talking about. So an unbeliever comes in, his heart is laid bare. He falls down and says, he's convicted. God is really among you. We saw a, a, something of that this morning as Joseph shared an impression uh, about people going through transition or struggling relationally and just people being deeply moved by that. It, was, it wouldn't have happened had Joseph not said something. Step forward. Um, spontaneity can, another benefit, spontaneity can nurture faith that God will do more than we ask or think through his power at work within us. One of the things that I've been privileged to do over the years is to sing spontaneous songs. And I can't tell you the number of times I finished singing something and thought, that was so lame. <laughs> and then had someone come up to me afterwards in tears and just say, that song was God speaking to me. Not, not in the sense of scripture speaking to me, but just I, I, I was encouraged by God through what you did. And I'm just freshly reminded, Lord, you, you do use the weak things of the world, that you are so great. You are so good. So that's what spontaneity is one of the benefits can help us remember that God does more than we can ask or think through his power at work within us. Now, there's some limitations as well, obviously. Pursuing spontaneity can lead us to become overly dependent on feelings and experiences and minimize God's promised presence. God does promise to be with us when we gather. He promises to be with us when his word is preached. He promises to be with us as we sing his praise. He promises to be with us as we share the Lord's Supper together. He's here with us when we gather. So when we make pursuing spontaneity the hallmark, the characteristic, the defining mark that God is really with us, then we're, we're no longer as aware of God's promised presence. And presence. Everything becomes about experience. So I did a little YouTube surfing in preparation for this message. And I noticed that you know, what happens is the spontaneous elements just tend to get longer and longer and longer because we want something to happen. And there's more repetition and more repetition and more repetition. It's because we're looking for something rather than rejoicing in the fact that God is with us. It's amazing. God is truly with us. So we're, 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 we're talking about both, pursuing both, but right now we're just talking about some of the limitations of spontaneity. A pursuit of spontaneity in itself alone can result in unintentional and unnecessary repetition and confusion. 
Isaac Watts, in his book, A Guide to Prayer, says this. He's, so this is the 18th century, early 18th century. It's a great book on prayer. He says, if we utterly neglect preparation, we shall be ready to fall into many difficulties. There was a, a discussion at that time whether prayer should be written out or spontaneous. So he's saying, if we neglect preparation completely, we'll fall into many difficulties. Sometimes we shall be constrained to make long and indecent stops in prayer, not knowing what to say next. And sometimes when the mind is not regularly equipped, we run into a confused, incoherent, and impertinent rhapsody of words <laughs> by which both God may be dishonored and the edification of ourselves and others spoiled. I just love the way he says that. Uh, we just start saying things that make no sense. Lord, we just thank you, oh God. We just thank you, praise you, God. We just want you to be blessed tonight, Lord. We just want you. And we feel like we have to fill the air with our words. And God's being dishonored and no one's being edified. Pursuing spontaneity can, become a, can, can result in uh, someone becoming agenda-driven. We don't know our hearts as well as we think. And sometimes spontaneous elements come that are a balance to what's currently being taught. And they're brought forth as though they're from the Lord. And it's really just from a person's heart. And uh, back in the early days when there was a lot of uh, spontaneous prophetic words uh, coming from congregations, uh, you'd have instances where, you know, the Lord says this, da, 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 and then someone else would stand up and say, thus says the Lord, I did not say that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so it was a little confusing. Um, pursuing spontaneity can, can result in a theological shallowness, inaccuracy, or heresy at times. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, yeah, just YouTube has examples. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, we, we, we become more enamored with the, the repetition and the creativity, and it leads us into theological no man's land, uh, where it might be right, we're not sure, and so that's, that's where it can go. Um, it can usurp or challenge pastoral leadership and teaching. And this is where I wanted to say spontaneity should always be under the oversight of pastors and in line with the teaching of the church. Uh, it's, it doesn't trump doctrine. It doesn't trump what's being taught from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. It should be a support to that. It should be a compliment to that. And finally, an overdependence on spontaneity can lead us to never maturing in our knowledge of God because we're just going with what we have. And what you have may be good, but if we never go deeper in terms of planning and preparation and study, we, we tend to just go around in the circle of spontaneity and creativity, and we never really mature in the things of God. So I wanna talk about preparing enough to be spontaneous. <laughs> Uh, just ways we can ways we should be preparing so that spontaneity uh, is not such a a uh, dreadful word for some of us it's 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 what we want uh, but for other of us others it's like uh, I'm not sure so I want to talk about how we can prepare to be spontaneous as I said earlier the the purpose of what I'm sharing tonight is that we plan and prepare so that we may, might be spontaneous without fear. And 
those who are prepared to be spontaneous will have more opportunities to glorify God. So how do we prepare to be spontaneous? First, prepare theologically. Surprise, surprise. Study the attributes of God. If spontaneity is a work of the Holy Spirit, we want to get to know the Holy Spirit well. And you know how we get to know the Holy Spirit well? By reading God's Word. Because the Holy Spirit wrote God's Word. This is God breathed by the Spirit. So if we want to know what the Spirit wants to do, study His Word. Study the attributes of God, especially as He's revealed Himself in the Gospel. Because there the glory of God shines most clearly. And the Spirit has been sent to bring glory to Christ. So whatever the Spirit does spontaneously is meant to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So we should know what glory in Jesus Christ looks like. And we do that by studying the gospel. We do that by reflecting on who Jesus is and what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. Because we'll be doing that for all eternity, and this is a great time to get started. And it will keep us from going off the deep end when it comes to spontaneity. Become, become persuaded theologically that this is a need for you and your church. That this is not just something that like crazy charismatic people do. That, that you really want to see God move powerfully in your life and in your church. Years ago, I came across this quote, and a number of you will have heard this, from a man named Graham Harrison, who's now with the Lord. He was a UK pastor. It was on the Banner of Truth website. Now, Banner of Truth is definitely not charismatic. Uh, they, but this, this, that's where I found this quote, and I thought it so nailed how we are to think about a, a desire for God's spirit to move among us. He says, there can be no substitute for that manifested presence of God, which is always a biblical possibility for the people of God. We have to believe that. It's always a biblical possibility for the people of God. It's not just us when we meet. God is with us. So that manifested presence is always a biblical possibility. When it is not being experienced, they should humbly seek him for it. Now listen to what he adds. Not neglecting their ongoing duties, nor denying their present blessings. See, those, those two phrases are so important. You don't start pursuing crazy stuff because God did something unique. You don't neglect your ongoing duties. You don't change everything about the church calendar because something different happened. You don't neglect your ongoing duties. And you don't deny your present blessings. You don't think, oh man, they've really got something that we don't have. Oh, no, no, no. You have so many blessings. Don't deny them. But recognize that there is always infinitely more. We should. They should. Recognize always there's always infinitely more with their God and Father who desires fellowship with those redeemed by the blood of his Son and regenerated by the work of his Spirit. 
It's always infinitely more. So that's what we're saying. Become persuaded, theologic, that this is a need for you and your church. And if you want to read two books that I would highly commend, Showing the Spirit by D.A. Carson, commentary on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's a little bit academic. And Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Not as academic. Both excellent books that, that can persuade us of this need. Okay, that's prepare theologically. Could say a lot more there. But we're going to move on to prepare musically. Plan musically, prepare musically. First, know your songs well. That means the accompaniment, if you're instrumentalist, the melodies, if you're a vocalist. Know your songs well. Know the lyrics well. Study the lyrics. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But uh, know your songs well. Um, It will just help you in so many ways. Grow in music theory and practical skill on your instrument. I had no idea that 40 years ago, as I finished my piano degree, as I got my piano performance degree, that I'd be spending the next 40 years leading people to exalt Jesus through music. But I'm so grateful I had that preparation. And you know what it looked like? I've shared this before. This is what it looked like a lot of the time. didn't feel like it at the moment that that was going to help me, but it has really helped me. And what you're doing to practice your instrument may not feel particularly exciting, thrilling. Hey, come watch me. But trust me, grow in music theory, grow in your ability to play your instrument. It will serve you in the days and years ahead, and it will help you It would prepare you for spontaneity. See songs as tools, not tyrants. It's a part of preparing musically. Um, uh, Joseph did some of that tonight where he started with a chorus, didn't start the way the song was written. You know, songs are there to serve us. You don't have to do a song exactly as it's written. Um, We did the chorus of Great is the Lord at the end. He was using that song as a tool. See songs as tools, not tyrants. Practice spontaneity by yourself and with your band. It's one way you can grow in that. And by that, I mean, don't just rehearse songs exactly the way you're going to do them. Unless you want to do them the exact same way every time. In that case, that's fine. But if you want to grow in spontaneity, do something like we've seen done here at the conference. Uh, Do something like uh, go back to a part of a song that that you've already done. Um, sing a, a portion of the chorus, uh, do a little p- end of the song as a tag. Just do something different that you're not telling the band in advance that you're going to do. And if they don't follow you, that will either tell you that they can't hear you or that they don't care for your leadership, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully it's, hopefully it's the first. Um, okay, so prepare theologically, prepare musically, prepare your heart. You, you want to grow and seeing God do things spontaneously. How do you prepare for that? Pray for the people you're leading. Just ask God, what do you want to say to them? I mean, you've prepared your songs, you know, and you're thinking, that's what, that's what, 
God wants to say to them. He wants us to say that to each other. But what, is, is there some thought, is there some, some word that, that you'd want to give them? Just pray for them and, and you'll be surprised how often a thought comes into your mind. And what you do with that thought is, is up to you, but uh, you, you'll be, God's not, God's not wanting to withhold things from us and say, no, it's all up to you. Go see how you do. This is a test. Let's go see how you do this morning. No, he, he is working in us and through us, and he just wants us to come to him. Say, Lord, what, what do you want to do? Ask God to enable people to see his glory in Christ. How beautiful he is, how glorious, how holy, how gracious how merciful, how powerful, how good. You know, so, so often I would hear people pray, you know, God, don't let us do this for our own glory. Lord, let us do this for you. Don't let our minds be on ourselves. And, you know, just that kind of praying that ends up being self-centered. <laughs> it's just saying, Lord, let us do this for your glory. Lord, we, don't let us keep thinking about what we're doing or just, you know. It's just, no, pray what you want people to see about Jesus. God, display how glorious Jesus Christ is to everyone here and use us to do that. That's exciting. I want to see God do that. Interact with scripture and the lyrics of your songs. It's another part of preparing your heart. Um, when I say interact with scripture, I mean this. Turn to Psalm 23. If you have a Bible, just turn to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. By interacting, I mean something like this. And Donald Whitney has a book called Praying Through Scripture, which, which is something very similar, but it's, it's turning Scripture into prayer. This is just turning Scripture into a conversation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Father, you give me everything I need. There, there's nothing that's good for me that I don't have. Because you're my shepherd. I'm a sheep. That must mean I'm dumb. That must mean I, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's true. But you, the almighty God, are my shepherd. You take care of me. You guide me. You provide for me. I shall not want. I, I don't want anything besides you because you're my shepherd I shall not want that's interacting with it he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul father you you keep me from getting crazy you keep me from there being chaos in my mind you lead me beside still waters you restore my soul when i feel discouraged you restore my soul when i feel despairing you restore my soul when i feel abandoned you restore my soul when i feel lost you lead me beside still waters you make me lie down in green pastures even when i don't feel like i need to you make me lie down in green pastures where i can rest where i can enjoy your presence where I can just draw near to you. I'm getting fed just as I do this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You really lead me. Father, it's not up to me. You do this. You're going to guide me for your name's sake. It's not just for me. It's so that you be glorified, so that Jesus be glorified through me. You do that through me. You lead me in paths of righteousness. I may not know where to go. I may be lost. I may be confused, but you'll lead me. 
in passive righteousness because you're my shepherd. That's what you do. That's interacting with the scripture. That will help you. It will prepare you to be spontaneous because you will be affected by what you read and you'll realize God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It pierces to the heart, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It speaks to us. Do the same thing with the lyrics of the songs you're singing. All creatures of our God and King, that means everyone, lift up your voice and with a sing. No one should be silent. Oh, praise him, hallelujah. Thou burning sun with golden beam, as vast as you are, hot as you are, thou silver moon with softer gleam, you're smaller, but you're still big. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Praise him, because he created you. Let all things their creator bless. Nobody left out and worship him in humbleness. There's no other way to worship God than in humbleness. Praise him. Hallelujah. Praise. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. You are triune. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. Oh, praise him. All the redeemed washed by his blood. We have been forgiven. Come and rejoice in his great love. What else can we do? Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Christ has defeated every sin. Every single one. Cast all your burdens now on him. Don't be discouraged. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. He shall return in power to reign. Every knee will bow. Heaven and earth will join to say. Every tongue confess. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knee? Surprise, surprise. All creatures of our God and King. Amen. Oh, so good. Okay, so I could not have done that if I had not, over the years, done what I'm telling you. And, and when, I, when I do this in like, um, you know, Worship Matters Intensive or, or, or just working with, with leaders, it's, it's amazing how little we've done this. What does that say about how much we're thinking and taking in what we're singing? We want to do that. So, a way to prepare your heart. Interact with your lyrics. Speak them back. Speak to God about them. Speak to others about them. Uh, where are we? <laughs> Be comfortable with taking risks. <laughs> Been waiting for this one. Be comfortable taking risks. Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. I'm comfortable. I wish it were that easy. Uh, I'm going to share an illustration, which someone asked me to share. Um, again, spontaneous song. People, uh, you shouldn't assume that this is all about a spontaneous song. It's just, it's just an area that God has taught me a lot about myself, a lot about him. There was a time when uh, in the early, in the mid-80s, when I heard uh, a teaching uh, about spontaneous song. And I heard a recording of someone singing a spontaneous song. It blew me away. It, I just thought, I want to do that. I don't know how you do that, but I want to do that because that was so edifying, so encouraging. It was filled with scripture. It was filled with content, and it was powerful. And so, so I began this pursuit. But what happened over a period of time was I just began to really doubt the whole thing and just thought, I mean, like, 
I mean, you know, where is this in the Bible? I mean, David played the psalm for, for Saul and, you know, where the spirit fills us and we sing and spiritual songs. I mean, I just, uh, Elijah in, in 2 Kings 3 couldn't prophesy until the, the, the harpist came. And so I'm, th- okay, I'm just trying to pull all the things I can out of there. But really, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking this is, this is nothing. This is, you're, you're like, you're drawing attention to yourself. You're uh, like, and, and by the way, what if you like are singing a spontaneous song and you like blank and you just like come in the middle of the line and say, da, da, da. Like you look like a moron, like a complete idiot. And, and what if it doesn't rhyme? And what if, you've, uh, what if you say something heretical? And uh, what if people think you're drawing attention to yourself? What if you are drawing attention to yourself? So every time I would get something, an impression of something, all those thoughts would rush into my head. And there was a, a pastor's conference in 1993, I believe, where I just got tired. I just got tired. And I said, I said, Father, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, I'll, I'll never get it right. I will nev- my motives will never be completely right. So I'm just going to sing something with, if I sense that you're saying I should sing something. That's what I'm going to do. So that was my commitment. And I'll just let you take care of the, the results and purify my heart and, and make it fruitful. And so that very night, I sang a song. And as soon as it was done, I thought, that was so lame. You are a loser. I mean, those were the thoughts that would come through my mind. And uh, CJ came up to me afterwards and said, man, I've been going through this challenge, this uh, struggle, this, this issue, and uh, really felt like the Lord met me as you were singing that song, so thank you so much. And what I began to see over time was that when, when we are doing something spontaneously, we are like a mailman. You know what a mailman does? Puts mail in your box. So he does, puts it in. He doesn't know what's there. Could be, you know, a, a letter from a friend. Could be you've won, you know, could be $1,500 for something. Could be, uh, uh, you know, something saying you've been chosen, especially chosen for a vacation in the Bahamas. Uh, uh, so I don't know what it could be. It could be anything. He doesn't know. And he doesn't look. He just gives it. He just gives it. Just gives it. And then whatever happens, happens. And that's what God, that's how God wants us to view spontaneity. An impression. It, it could be, uh, it could be any number of things. Um, it could be a prayer. It could be uh, repeating a phrase. It could be a word. It could be um, uh, encouragement. It could be reading a scripture. Get comfortable with taking risks. And recognize that there will be times when um, you get it wrong. That's okay. Because if you get it wrong, you'll be humbled. And God gives grace to the humble. So it's really a win-win. Either God will use you to bless people or you'll get grace. <laughs> it's, it's really great. Um, Another aspect of preparing your heart, just ask God, what do you want to do for my church? What do you want to say to them? We talked about that earlier. Okay, a few more. Prepare administratively. Uh, this is just getting to some more practical things. Take a retreat maybe to talk about with your team or maybe individually what you think God wants you and your church to accomplish in the next month or quarter or year. Regularly ask, how can we do things better? 
Take some time to explore planning programs if you're not already using them, things like Planning Center, worshipplanning.com. Become familiar with technology that will enable you to be spontaneous. That was functioning full force last night as HB is speaking. Devin texts me, says, I don't think this is the right song that we picked. How about this song? And I said, that's great. Let's do that one. We had a little dialogue there. And we said, yeah, that is the one. I texted Rebecca. I went to Planning Center online, downloaded the song, emailed it to Rebecca, who then printed it, and then got it to Devin, and we had it ready by the time the message had finished, which was like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later. Technology did that. Uh, we wanted to be spontaneous, but if we didn't have the technology, it would just be more challenging. So, so whatever you need to do in your church to, to enable you to do stuff like that. Have extra charts on hand. We used to, I was in church one time where we had just a, a, a songbook of 40 songs. That would be kind of your, your probably go-to songs that we could just pull out if we needed to. Because we want to serve people. We don't want to be limited by only what we've prepared. So prepare, be spontaneous. You catching the theme? Have an idea what would need to happen if you wanted to do something spontaneous. And finally, in preparing administratively, don't overplan. One of the things that keeps us from, from being more spontaneous is that we overplan. We just, we pack everything into the meeting so there's not a second that the Holy Spirit could do anything spontaneously if he wanted to because we've, we've made sure the time is full and he's not getting in there. We're keeping guards, setting up guards up at every transition. He's not getting in. You know, just, just let it breathe a little bit. You know, if you have 20 minutes to sing, don't do seven songs. Uh, you know, for 20 minutes, we, I just attach, uh, in planning center, just do five minutes for every song. doesn't matter how long the song is, just say five. And that, that tends to work out about right. But I know if there's a spontaneous element, it will be longer. It will make it longer. Um, so that's planning, preparing administratively. Prepare relationally. So if you're going to do spontaneous things in your meeting, you will have want to have built bridges of trust with those you serve with. That would include, depending on who you are, could be the pastor, could be your music leader, could be the musicians, could be your people. Uh, build bridges of trust. And by, th by that, I mean, be humble about what you do. Ask for feedback about what you do. Ask for feedback before you do what you're thinking of doing. If you, if you want to try something new. It's being humble in the way we approach spontaneity. Um, no one's infallible. And so when we talk about balancing planning and spontaneity, we want to recognize neither one of, in neither one of those areas are we going to just nail it every time. So we want, to, we want to talk about what we've done and see what we can improve. That brings trust. I've had numerous conversations over the years where uh, you know, I said to CJ, um, I, you know, how about if we do this? He said, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure we should do that. And I said, well, here's why I think we should do it. He said, well, you know what? You're the leader. You go for it. That's trust. And it's, it's, it's come over years. Seek to build that. Um, don't do crazy things uh, simply because you're sure it's the Lord. Uh, if it's the Lord, he wants you to be humble. And so we, that's what we want to pursue. A few uh, final thoughts. 
I've been seeking to address two groups tonight. The first group is afraid of anything that smacks of uh, hyper-spirituality or uh, charismania. Um, you might be experiencing impressions from the Spirit, but you'd never attribute that to the Spirit. You would just say, well, that's just good sense. There's a second group that's always drawn to what is unfettered, unrestricted, and exciting. Thinks that if you follow through on your plan, that that really isn't what God wants. Tend to think that experience trumps doctrine and theology when it comes to what's reliable. I felt it. I feel it. I know it's true. Oh, how many people have said that on their way to disobedience, on their way to dishonoring God? We want to maintain the tension of freedom within structure or planning that is complemented by spontaneity. And we are ultimately to depend on God's revealed authoritative sufficient word, not on spontaneous experiences. All we do, planned and spontaneous, is subject to God's word. It's governed by God's word. We don't want to pursue spontaneity in such a way that would reflect God's character wrongly, which, which can happen. God himself is the one who has every detail of history planned out, and yet he operates in time, always surprising, always doing the unexpected, always interacting, always wanting to engage. And he is not restricted by our preconceptions or even our doctrines of him. Doctrine and theology are monumentally important because they, they tell us who the God we worship is. But they're not everything there is to know about God. He is greater than we can imagine. His greatness is unsearchable. His wonders are more than we can tell. So we want to pursue both. Planning and preparation. And spontaneity. At the end of his commentary in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, showing the spirit, D.A. Carson writes this. We must desire to know more of God's presence in our lives and pray for a display of unleashed, reforming, revivifying power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God. But such prayer and hunger must always be tempered with joyful submission to the constraints of biblical discipline. May it be so. May we seek to be so prepared for our meetings that spontaneity becomes more a part of our practice so that we all might see more of the greatness of the Savior through the power of his Spirit for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your mercy you have given us both planning and spontaneity as a means of bringing glory to you. We don't really want to depend on either. We want to depend on you. We want to depend on your word. We want to depend on the fact that you are our shepherd and that you faithfully guide us. You will lead us in what is right and what is true and what builds up your church. So we ask that you would use what we've covered tonight to give us greater faith both for preparation and for spontaneity. May we be prepared enough to be spontaneous. And we ask you to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.